Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. John chapter 10, we are in the middle of a conversation Jesus is having with the Pharisees um, after he had healed a blind man. And um, these guys are, um, he's basically talking to them about the legitimacy of their leadership. Now that's always a fun conversation, right? You're trying to tell somebody they're not legit. That ain't fun, man. I mean, but it's necessary. And uh, um, Jesus is having that conversation as tough as it is with people who think they have no need. These people, the Pharisees, they think they're holy. They think they got God figured out. They have his number. And essentially, they are. it's all about what they're doing. And they're in and of themselves enough. I mean, to the point where Jesus even gives us an idea of what a Pharisee looks like in, in the sense of the... the um, the, the, the story of the, um, the, the sinful man and the Pharisee that goes up on the mountain and, and the sinful man's beating his breast saying, God, I can't even believe that you would even allow me to approach you. And this other guy's got, God, you're, I'm lucky that I'm not like that guy. You know, that's the, that's the temperature and the flavor of who these people are. They don't think that they, they have any necessary uh, need for anything. And, and, and so f- not, not only that, but then for Jesus to begin to approach them, you see, they had a problem with Jesus. They thought Jesus was an illegitimate child. He wasn't born into marriage. They even said to him, man, you're illegitimate. Don't talk to us about legitimacy. You're illegitimate. Who's your father, Jesus, they said to him. Who's your father? We know he didn't have an earthly father, and yet there were rumors around that day and age that he was born some Roman soldier or something like that. The Pharisees, they, they're not going to take st- the word of some uneducated Nazarene construction worker that's what a carpenter was back in those days. He was a construction worker. He did all, he's a general contractor. He did all kinds of different things. He didn't just make wood tables and chairs. He probably worked construction somewhere. Helping his father maybe build houses. And they, not only did uh, they also, they made stone. They did a lot of stone work. I have in this, my mind that they were just woodworkers. No, no, there was a ton of rock in Israel. They used rock for a lot of stuff, furniture. They, 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 in fact, even in the synagogues and stuff, their pulpits were made out of rock. You see, so Jesus, he was a construction worker. Who's going to listen to a construction worker when you're a Pharisee? So they're, they're not taking him too seriously. You know, if, if talking to these guys would be like talking to, you know, Jesse Duplantis or Kenneth Copeland or, you know, Crayflow uh, Dollar. Yeah, that's his real name, by the way. About, about their airplanes that they need, about their $60 million they need to go share the gospel around the United States. It would, that's kind of, it's kind of falling on deaf ears if you follow me. A- ain't nobody got no time for that, Jesus. We ain't got no time for that, man. We're Pharisees. Who does Jesus think he is? God the Son? It's exactly who he is. He wants them to understand. And so stand with me, if you would. We're going to pick it up in John chapter 10. He's just explained to these guys um, about um, their legitimacy in the ministry. And now he, he wants to explain to them who he is and how they can identify him. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is in a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not have his own sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. 
I know my own, and my, know, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have another, other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is opposed, uh, uh, oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, God, that you would help us this morning to see you clearly in what you want to say to us this morning. God, we open our hearts to you. We receive even right now by faith what you have for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. There are marks in every aspect of life that demonstrate whether or not you are good at what you're doing. If you're a parent, there's marks that will help you see whether you're being a good parent or a bad parent. There is marks as an employee that you help see whether you're a good employee or a bad employee. There are marks as leaders that help you see if you're a good leader. And there are marks that help the shepherd know whether he is a good shepherd or a bad shepherd. And that's what Jesus wants to show us in verses 11 through 21. The marks of the good shepherd. Jesus, after again defining the way in which a legitimate shepherd would enter the sheepfold in John chapter 10, verse 1 through 6, that it would be by the door. Then he goes on to talk about how you become a legitimate sheep in the fold, that you have to enter by the door, which is him. He first talks about the door of Scripture, then he says, I'm the door, because he is the word. He's the word that's made flesh. So he's the only way to enter the sheepfold. There is no other way. Contrary to popular belief, there are not multiple ways to heaven. There is one way, and his name is Jesus. He, he now goes on to give these Pharisees four marks that identify and would accompany the good shepherd, singular, by the way, but also should represent any spiritual leader. We begin with mark number one. The good shepherd is sacrificial. Look with me in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, Jesus is speaking to a mixed crowd here. Not just Pharisees, but there's other people around. He healed. This is the same place he healed the blind man, he came, or where he met the blind man. The, the blind man got healed. He went away. He came back, and, and you know, he washed, as Jesus told him to do. He came back seeing, and now there's a crowd of people around him. He gets in this conversation with the Pharisees, and now Jesus shows up and says, what's going on here? Oh, they just kicked me out of the church because I was healed on the Sabbath. All this stuff's going on, so there's multiples of people around here. And Jesus says to them, in this moment, I am the good shepherd. Now this immediately follows a similar declaration that Jesus just made in verse 9. He said, I am the door there. Now I don't mean to be redundant, and I, I don't think Jesus does either, but some people just don't get that Jesus is declaring himself to be God. He is declaring himself to be God. This is the fourth time in the book of John that he said, I'm God. Is Jesus God? Yeah, he said so himself. He did. This isn't concealed information. This is him saying, listen, I am God. He, he declared, I am the same as the one that Moses was sent by to lead the people out of Egypt. I'm the same one. I am. 
the name of God. Now, in it infers the Trinity. That, that phrase, I am, that is inferring the Trinity. Oh, the Trinity is not in the Bible, the Word. But the idea certainly is that there are three in one. Son and Holy Spirit. We see that in the very first chapter of Genesis. You know, it talks about in the beginning was, the word, in the beginning was God. That God created the heavens and the earth. And then you go down to verse 26 and it says, let us make man in our image. And then we know further on from various other scriptures that Jesus was the creator during that time. So there is more. God is an entity of three people in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's the I am. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is saying. I am now the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. Now, now you can imagine that they must immediately think about Ezekiel 34, as we've been talking about. Because God declared that he would become the shepherd to his people. Ezekiel 34, 15, and 16. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the strayed, I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God says singularly, I will be the shepherd. Jesus is clearing, I am the good shepherd, singular. This is undeniable. What Jesus is saying here, he's a fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 34. Not only that, but he's God in the flesh. He's Emmanuel. Not only is, is Jesus declaring that he's God, though, and that he is the God, that he is the shepherd, the singular shepherd, but also that he's good, that, he is, that he's good. Literally, in the Greek, the phrase is, for the good shepherd is the shepherd, the good one. The shepherd, singular, the good one. What is that inferring? There are bad ones. There are bad ones and there are good ones. Jesus is the good one. Now people, what would they imagine as Jesus said that? The good shepherd. They would imagine a good shepherd. They would imagine a shepherd that was good to his sheep. A shepherd that would teach, that would, that would tend, that would feed, that would minister, that would love that would uh, you know, anoint them with oil if, there was, if they were butting their heads with each other. He would take care of their hind ends, make sure that they weren't getting all clotted up so they wouldn't have intestinal problems. That was a dirty job to be a shepherd. But a good one cared for his sheep no matter how dirty he had to get. And Jesus is saying, I'm that one. We all get it. We understand what a good dog owner would be. We understand what that would be. If I were to say, I am the good dog owner... You would automatically say, okay, I get the analogy. I understand what he's saying. I'm not a good dog owner, but if I was and I said that, then you would understand what I'm saying. Now, Josh, on the other hand, he's a good dog owner. He cares, and that, he, he practically kisses his dog. So, I mean, but, but I'm kidding. But he, they're good to their dog. So when I say they're a good dog owner, you know what that means. They're good to them. They love on their dog. They minister to their dog. Dennis said he wants his dog to go to heaven if he pees on the carpet one more time, right? <laughs> this is one of those things, man. I, I know. I feel you. That's how I feel sometimes. But we understand what Jesus is saying when he said, I'm the good shepherd. We, we don't have sheep really around. We have some around here, but I don't know. I haven't seen a shepherd lately. I haven't talked to one. But, but we can bring it into our understanding. That's what he's saying. Somebody that would be good to the sheep. 
that would love on the sheep, that cares about the sheep, that appreciates the sheep. Jesus is saying, I'm that one. I'm good. I am good. Now, now what we find here in the first mark that Jesus mentions, and just, I'm the good shepherd, the one that lays down his life for the sheep. The first mark that Jesus mentions here is the good shepherd is sacrificial. The good shepherd is sacrificial. The shepherd in Jesus' day had many duties. He had to do all different kinds of things. I already explained to you some of those things that he would do. One of the most important duties that a shepherd would have is to protect his sheep, to protect them from thieves and robbers, to protect them from predators, and only a good shepherd would take that responsibility seriously. The hireling, the one that was a hired hand, he wouldn't take that seriously. If a wolf was coming and his life was in danger, man, all you would see is dust. He's out the door. He's gone because I'm not laying my life down for some dumb old sheep. No way. But the good shepherd, he would jump in between and he would say, listen, I'm going to defang you, wolf. I'm going to take you out because I care about the sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus gave himself sacrificially for us defanging the wolf, which is sin, in our lives. And we are grateful for that this morning, that he's done that. But notice that Jesus did it for the sheep. Focus on the word for. Not for himself, but for the sheep. I think there's a lesson in that. It was for them. He isn't doing it for himself. Uh, you know, he wasn't saying, oh, i got to protect my investment because I have money in these sheep. No, the good shepherd would, would do it for the sheep's sake. In other words, what I'm saying is that this wasn't some weird way to serve myself. Jesus wasn't saying, I'm going to do this to serve myself because it makes me feel good to be sacrificial. I get something out of it, and so that's why I'm going to do it. No, he did it for the sheep. That means he did it for you. He didn't do it for what he would get out of it. He did it for what you would get out of it. Now, there's an incredible lesson in that because, listen, when you share the gospel, when I share the gospel and we go into the world, man, do we get something out of it? We do, don't we? It is incredible to be there, to be in the, in the pocket where God himself is drawing man to himself and you're standing there. It's like being in a wedding. You know? you're, you're a guy between man and woman and you're like the quarterback and you're like, whoa, this is awesome. You have front row seats to what's going on. Front row seats to watch God himself reach into somebody's life and start to just soften their heart and start to massage them and you start to see his countenance come out of them. That is awesome. But man, we have to be careful that we don't start to receive that and that's why we begin to do it. That it doesn't become the motive for why we do what we're doing. Jesus died for the sheep, not because he got something out of it. When we share the gospel, it's for their sake. It's not for my sake. Be careful that you don't start being motivated by your own, that you're not serving yourself. Because a good shepherd doesn't serve himself. He serves his sheep. He loves his sheep. And he does everything for their sake. So be careful as you, you're used by the Lord that you're doing it for their sake, for his sake, not your sake. Jesus told us that he came, that we could have life and that abundantly, John chapter 10, verse 10. 
It wasn't like Jesus was trying to serve himself there. He did it for us. He did it for our, our benefit, for our enjoyment. He did it so that we could have abundant life. He wants you to live abundantly. And he came to give you that. And you can live that out even right now. You can live that abundant life in him. Jesus goes on and he, he talks about the fact that the, 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 the good in, in the shepherd is a matter of nature and not what he gets out of it. It's a matter of character and nature. That is what he's operating out of. It's for the sheep. That only comes through nature and character. Jesus, the good shepherd, having the right nature and character, gave of himself solely for the sake of others. He went to the cross of Calvary to effectively detooth the wolf, and he did it for our sake. And I want you to understand the ramifications of what that looked like. He asked the Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way? You ever ask yourself why he, why he asked the Father that? It suggests that he knew it was coming. It suggests that he knew the weight that was about to be placed upon his shoulders. And he said, if, if there's any other way, man, but not my will, your will be done. No matter how hard it's going to be, God, I'll do it. Because I'm not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for them. The ramifications of a Roman crucifixion are unbelievable. Incredibly painful. When we were in Israel, we, we, they walked us through what a crucifixion would have been like. They would have taken a beam... And they would have laid that man down and they would have sp driven spikes through his wrists so that it hit those nerves in your wrists. They would have driven spikes either, they would have taken him and, and they would have, he would have carried that beam up to the, the, where there would be right outside the city where they would hang people and there would be a post already mounted there. They would, two soldiers would take the, the ends of that, that beam and they would lift it up and they would just drop it into a slot and he would just boom. If that didn't dislocate his shoulders, his arms, and his wrists, the weight of his body as he's hanging there would have. They would pierce his legs. Either they would take them and put them the post between them and they would go in through the sides or they would cross it over and go one nail through the legs. You want to talk about pain? Jesus knows pain. If that wasn't enough though, the excruciating pain that he would go through to try and get a single breath. Because he would have to lift himself up off those nails, on those, on those nails in his feet, on those nails in his hands, you know, tearing away at the flesh of his, of his wrists and his feet to get breath. They would suffocate in a crucifixion. He was in excruciating pain these people would have dislocated joints and they would oftentimes be there for days like that suffering. <gasps> Sinking back down, holding their breath as long as they could. <gasps> and you could stand there and watch God the Son do that for you. That is incredible. Not only that, was it extremely painful, but extremely humiliating. Oftentimes, the depiction of Jesus being crucified 
doesn't show that he's stripped naked, but he was stripped naked. They would strip people naked, and they would hang them up in bare and naked before all the people just to humiliate them further. This is God we're talking about. Jesus didn't do it for his sake. He didn't do it for what he got out of it. He did it for you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 tells us, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus gladly endured the cross for you. Not because he got self-worth out of it, not because it made him feel good, but because he could give you worth. So that he could reconcile your account. That's why he did it. Isaiah 53.10, it tells us that yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. That, the will of the Lord, that phrase, it was, uh, it was to plead. That word means to ple well-pleasing. It was well-pleasing to the Lord to crush him. Not because God got some sense of satisfaction out of it, but because of what it meant for us. He operates out of, the, out of his nature and character, and his nature is love. And love does whatever is necessary for others, not because it makes me feel good, but because, it, because it's selfless and it cares about others more than me. You understand Christianity is all about others? That's just because we're of our God, because he's all about others. God isn't up in heaven, you know, just going, man, I find a, a way to be complete. I wish I could find a way where I could just get a little bit more satisfaction for myself, just a little bit more worth, and then I will, I'll be okay. Oh, no, he's 100% needless. And I know you don't understand that, and I know I don't understand that. But I know that that's what he is. He's thinking of us. He's thinking about us. That's the mark of a, of, of a good shepherd, that he's thinking about his sheep, that he's sacrificial. That's the way that he lives his life. He cares about the sheep more than he cares about his own life. A hireling, the moment the sacrifice is required, they're gone. I had a, we, we, at a previous church that we attended, there was a youth pastor at one time that was paid full time and, and um, the church couldn't afford to pay him full time anymore. And so he was going to have to get a job to supplement his income. And all we saw was dust gone whoa wasn't he called he said he was called wait a second he wasn't called was he or did he confuse it I don't know what happened to him but all I knew is he was gone when sacrifice was required a good shepherd stays the course no matter what because he cares about everyone else more than himself A good shepherd is sacrificial and will pay any price for his sheep. That's Jesus, man. That's what he did for us. You know, as your pastor, the, I'm the under-shepherd of Jesus. And, you know, it's my job to be sacrificial in every aspect of my life, too. And, and as Christians, you too, because you are ambassadors of Christ. So we have this call on our lives as well. It's not like it just applies to some people. It applies to all of us, really. But, but, but something that's interesting is, is you know, oftentimes when I, when I meet with people, people are like, man, I, 
I don't want to take up your time. And, and I think, like, well, what do you think my time is for, number one? And number one, you're not taking my time. I'm giving it away sacrificially. I don't say that pridefully. I'm just saying that's the reality of it, is that I'm giving my time away because my time is not valuable doing anything else except for doing what God's called me to do. I sacrificially give him my time because it's God's time and because that's what I'm called to do. It's my job to make sure that I help people grow in the Lord. I, I, I love you guys, and I care about what's going on in your life, and I want to see you grow, and I want to be there to admonish, to teach, to help, to exhort, to correct, to help, whatever is necessary in your life, because guess what? God speaks to me also during those times. And so, yes, he's shaping me as he's shaping you, but I care, and I love you guys, and it's an honor to do this, but, but, but let me ask you, could, is there any better use of anyone's time? Helping other people? Doing, you know, teaching someone out of the word of God? Is there any better use of someone's time? Listen, I have the most important job in the world, and I mean that literally. And you have the most important job in the world. Your job is more important. You want to talk about world influencers? You want to talk about somebody that makes a difference? Steve Jobs is nothing compared to you. Nothing iPads and stuff will not be in heaven. I promise you that. But what you do will. Put that on a TED Talk. You know what I mean? Literally. I'm not kidding. You want to be an influencer, be a Christian. Because what you do matters for all of eternity. What we do on this earth passes away, man. But the time you invest in heavenly things will go on and on and on for all of eternity. That is what we should invest in. That is what we should focus on as believers on other people. Investing in other people. That's what Jesus did. You want to be like Jesus? Invest in other people. The good shepherd is sacrificial. Not only that, but he's relational. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I almost jumped out of my shoes right there. I was getting so excited. Whoa. Listen, a good shepherd knows his sheep. And they know him. This word know, it's in the biblical sense of the word know. What does that mean? To know, to become one with. When a man and a woman come together in a sanctified marriage, there's a oneness that happens there. That's what he's talking about. There's, there's no other relationship like that, you realize. There's a unionization that happens. That's why that relationship belongs in marriage. It belongs between a husband and a wife because there's a spiritual union that happens there. And, and, and listen, you don't want to just be unionized with anybody. You want to be unionized with the one that the Lord had created for you, that he brought into your life. Listen, that's not some ancient teaching that's not relevant today. Well, I don't know. The Bible's kind of old. Does that even match? You know, we're kind of beyond that, aren't we? We're all adults here, are we? Are we? Well, this talks about union, and this is about relationship. And God is saying, he's becoming, like, his sheep are one with him, just as he is with his father. That's the intimacy that he's talking about here. Uh, he, he's talking about the idea that we become one. Now, it's not coincidence that the order that Jesus put this in, is it? Well, he talks about sacrifice first, then he talks about relationship. 
I find that interesting because that's the way that we know him, right? It's his sacrifice that created relationship for us. Yet he knew us before the foundation of the world. We were his. We, we were, he called us by name before we were even born. He knew us. In an intimate knowing, he knew us. And we knew him. It was just a matter of time before that would come out, that you would say, oh yeah, I know him. I know him. I'm draw As God would draw you to himself, God would awaken what is in you, what he put in your heart from, from before you were even created to know him. And that would be aroused and awakened one day. And then you would know him and you would get to know him. And it's a lifetime of knowing him. And it takes your whole lifetime. And then eventually you'll know him like you're known. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 tells us, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. You will know as you're known. You will know God in a very intimate way. You will become one with him like you have never done before. But here's the deal, is you're supposed to be doing that now. Like, we're not just getting fire insurance, right? When we come to Christ, it's not just like, man, I want to be saved out of hell, but I still want to do what I want to do. That's not a full surrender to Christ. A full surrender to Christ is what Jesus did for us. It's I'll go all the way for you, Lord. I'm laying down everything that I have and everything that I can possibly, in, 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 in everything that I can, as far as I can relate to you, God, I lay it down before you even now. That's a surrender to him. It's not like, oh, I want my cake and I get to eat it too. That, that's not the way it works. That's not legitimate. Legitimate Christianity is when you fully surrender to him. We were in prayer a couple weeks ago and Kyla mentioned the idea of cheap grace. Cheap grace. You know what cheap grace is? It's a gospel that doesn't require any denial of self. It's a gospel that doesn't require the blood of Christ. It's the gospel that doesn't require any. There's nothing you can do in and of yourself to be saved. That's not what it's saying. But the idea is, Diedrich Bonhoeffer was writing a book called The Cost of Discipleship, the fact that it cost you something to come to Christ, that you're laying down your life. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. Deny yourself. That means you are laying down your life before me. You're saying, my life is not my own. I'm being drawn into this knowingness that I, that's some, somewhere inside of me that's being drawn out of me. And God is saying, hey, come to me that way. That's legitimate. That's real. It is all about grace. It's all about his finished work on the cross. What, but the reality is, is that it does cost you something. It costs you an abandonment of this life. And it costs you an obedience to the life that he has for you. That's what it costs. Now, to me, that's not much. It doesn't cost me much but it does cost me something. People that, 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 that are involved in something that costs them nothing don't treat it right, right? But when you are invested in something, you cherish it, you take care of it. You have to be invested in Christ. You have to be invested in what he's done. It, this is not some rinky-dink operation, guys. This is the God of the universe that is saying, hey, I laid my life down for you. Now I'm saying you lay down your life for me. That's salvation. Not my will, Lord, but your will. 
the good shepherd. He's sacrificial and he is relational. He knows us. And we know him because we are his and he is ours. Not only that, but thirdly, he's ingressive. What does that mean? I'll tell you in a second. Verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also that they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. I like to summarize things with one word. And so I look in the dictionary. And I'm like, how can I summarize what is, what's being said here? Because I, I want to just make it simple. What does it mean? Ingressive. Ingressive. To ingress. It's the act of opening up a way. It's the act of opening up a way. Jesus ingressed for you. He became the way for you. He opened up the way for you. And only a good, the good shepherd can do that for you. Only he can. Only Jesus can do that. He has the right to allow us to enter. And he's allowed us that right. That's what he's talking about here. The good shepherd, he has the right to, to, to allow people to enter. And he's talking about them ent another sheepfold that he must bring to enter a specific flock that he's called. We talked about the sheepfold of Israel in the first six verses of John chapter 10. That's a sheepfold that he's bringing them out of, remember. Now he's talking about another sheepfold. This other sheepfold is the sheepfold of the world. This is not the sheepfold of the Catholic Church. I hate to break it to him, but it's not. This is speaking of the Gentiles, and it's talking about the sheepfold of the world, that God is drawing out the sheep the Gentile sheep of the world to unite with the, with the Jewish sheep that have been drawn out there into a flock that he has created in the new covenant. That's what this is all about. That's what he's talking about. It's going to be one flock, one shepherd. That's why, you know, um, Jewish believers, you know, when they, when they become believers, they're no, no longer part Judaism. Because God has brought them out of that into a new covenant. You, as a Gentile, as you enter into relationship with Christ, you're brought out of the world, what you knew, into a flock that he has created through the new covenant. The new covenant is his blood. It was his blood that was shed for you so that you could be in this flock. And, and notice it says that he must bring them also. He must. It's a requirement. That's emphatic. Like, I must do this. Why? Because God is not just the God of the Jews, but the Gentiles alike. And that's why Jesus came to the Jew first, because he was promised to the Jew, but also for the Gentiles. It's for us too. And yet, you know, in, in Judaism, they, don't, they think that they're the, they're the only ones, you know? And then you've got all these other weird sects of... You know, cultisms that Judaism is not a cult, but I mean, like Jehovah Witnesses who think they're the ones. And you got, you know, the, the, all these different religions that are saying they're the ones. We're just saying, hey, you know what? Jesus is the one. And we're followers of him, right? I mean, that's what we're called into one flock. We're the church. The church is his flock. We are not Calvary Chapelites. We are Jesus Christ. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And listen, we as the church have to operate under that premise that we're not following a denomination. We're not following a name on a door. We're not, we're not following an under-shepherd. We're following the shepherd. 
the good shepherd, Jesus Christ himself. That means your, you know, who identity is not found in a name on a door, in a denomination or anything other than Jesus himself because it's his church. And so, you know, if you're following a denomination, if you're following a man, you're following the wrong thing. And Jesus said, hey, get your eyes on me. You're part of my church. Not a specific church, but you're part of my church. It just so happens that you come to Calvary Chapel. But that's not who you are, and that's not your identity. And don't forget that. It's really easy. We like to be divided. That's in our, it's in our flesh nature. We like that, oh, we're, we're Calvary Chapel. Oh, we don't dress up on Sundays. You know, I mean, you can become arrogant and all these different things about, you know, I mean, people come in here and they're like, whoa, what's this, man? You guys going to the club or something? No, I'm just kidding. But the, the idea is that we're not formal and all this kind of stuff. That's okay. But we are followers of Jesus Christ. We're not followers of a denomination or a name. And you're not, you're not, you're not following. Your allegiance isn't to some particular under-shepherd. Oh, well, this is what so-and-so says, and this is what I do, and I follow him, and I do this and that. He's, who are you following? What does this say? I mean, God has given us people, teachers, and all that kind of stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But at the end of the day, we follow him, and we follow only him. And listen, if, if there's an, as there's an under-shepherd proclaiming another message, he's not speaking on behalf of God. He's speaking on behalf of himself. And, you know, it's sad to watch our brothers and sisters quarrel, but let us not be among them. Let us not be the ones to join into that argument. Well, I'm this, I'm that. Well, hey, great. I'm, I'm part of Jesus. Jesus is part of me. I'm his and he is mine. And that's who I serve. And I don't care about anything else. Let us, let that be our one point. Okay, so finally we have Jesus is sacrificial. Jesus is relational. He's aggressive. And also he's authoritative. Look at verse 17. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Interesting enough, what was one of the common questions the religious leaders had for Jesus? By what authority do you do this? By what authority do you do this, Jesus? By what authority are you doing these things? Matthew 21 is an example of that. Verses 23 through 27. I'm not going to read it. You can look it up later, but... But, but, but Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus often wouldn't answer their question. He'd, ask, he'd answer their question with a question. And then he'd say, well, hey, you don't really want to know, do you? You're just trying to entrap me. So guess what? You're not going to hear it. Because I'm not going to play your games. Oh, you got to love Jesus, man. I wish I was there. Just right in the pocket, you know, yeah. That would have been awesome. My flesh would come out of me probably. Yeah, Jesus, come on. No, but they were trying to entrap Jesus. They didn't recognize his authority. They were trying to entrap him, but they did understand that he was operating by some authority, so much so that they would claim that he is operating by Satan's authority, that he would be of Beelzebub. The good shepherd is authoritative. He operated in authority. He was given authority and he used that authority he had authority to lay down his life and he had authority to take it up again this authority was from the father jesus said right here and it was given to him 
not just some authority, but all authority. Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Listen, there is no space, no time, no place that Jesus doesn't have authority over. Nothing. He has authority over all things. And guess what? Even in this moment, he's operating his authority. Right now in your life, he's operating in his authority. He's operating in authority your circumstances. He's operating in authority in your relationship. He's operating in authority in every aspect of your life. Because the good shepherd is authoritative and he takes that responsibility seriously. Jesus was no sissy. He's not gentle Jesus, meek and mild. This is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he has a massive roar and a bite that matches. That's the king that we serve. He's an authoritative God. He, he said, listen, I have the power to lay down my life. When Jesus died on the cross, man didn't take his life from him. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It, he released his life. His life was not taken from him. In the grave, Jesus Christ took up his life just as he declared. He had the authority to do that. I thought the Father raised him from the dead. Jesus said he had the authority to take up his life. I wasn't there. We'll figure that out in heaven. But what I do know is he rose again from the grave and he said, I have the authority to take up my life. Jesus was given a charge. And he took the charge. And he operated in the charge. To every ounce of degree that he was called to. He fulfilled everything. And as a result, Jesus says, my father loved me. Whoa, that sounds works-orientated. That sounds like God, obedience equals God's love. Obedience equals God's love. That's not what it means. That's not what he's talking about. What does that mean? He, he, he said here, for this reason, the father loves me because I laid down my life, that I might take it up again. What does that mean? It means that Jesus' willingness to sacrifice brought forth the Father's love in a fresh way, in a new way. It, for example, we say oftentimes, I love you for doing that for me. You ever say that? I love you for doing that for me, honey. That was so sweet of you. Are you saying that you only love her or him because they did that? Or are you saying that I love you in a new way because you did that, but my love is the same for you. It's just, re, it's just been, it's just in a fresh way. God loves us in a fresh way when we obey him, but he loves us nonetheless, even if we don't. That's what it's talking about. He, he, what he's saying is, I don't love you because of what you did. I love you before the deed, but the deed brings out a, my love in a new and a fresh way. And we do, we operate that in our relationships today. I love it, man. My, my son just went out in the garage yesterday and started cleaning it. Just started cleaning the garage. Do, 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 do. I'm like, man, I love that kid. Why? Because he cleaned the garage? No, but it, but it, brought, it brought, brought out my love in a new way for me. It's the same love. Same idea. Listen, Jesus operated in authority. What we need to understand is we 
also need to operate in authority. You've been given authority. Dan was over my house a couple weeks ago and he said, man, I don't think we understand the authority that we have. If we would just take the authority in our home, what would that look like? What would, what would it look like? Jesus, who has all authority, has given you authority to operate on his behalf on this earth. And yet we're oftentimes so timid in our authority that we've been given. As we walk in this world as a service about something, God says, no, no, you have authority. Take it. Take it. When God told Joshua to go into the land, he said, take it. Lord, let me pray about that. I'm not sure if you really want me to have that land or not. I know my friend's stuck in sin and I know that he needs Jesus, but I'm not sure if I should share it with him. Authority. In the name of Jesus, that's the authority you have. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus in every aspect of your life. You have authority in the name of Jesus, so use it. He's given you that authority. Lord, I'm struggling with this right now. In the name of Jesus, I proclaim freedom from this sin in my life by faith. By faith. In the name of Jesus. Listen, I take that seriously at my house. When I'm walking, and you might think I'm weird, I don't really care, but at the end of the day, when I sense an evil presence in my, in my house, you know what I do? In the name of Jesus, get lost. You have no rulership at dictating anything in my home. Jesus is the Lord of my life. Jesus is the Lord of my home. Get out. What are you, who are you talking to? My, my family probably thinks I'm crazy. I go through my house sometimes in my kids' rooms, and I say, hey, in the name of Jesus, get out. Why? Because we live in a, in a world, a spiritual world that is operating around us that we have no idea what's going on. When you start to feel oppressed and depressed and you start to feel just evilness in your presence, cast that out in the name of Jesus. Don't allow that to, don't operate under that. Don't, don't allow yourself to be oppressed by the devil. He has no authority over you. Jesus has given you authority to say, depart from me. And so, you know, you might be here today and say, man, that sounds a little Pentecostal, man. It's, it's, this is straight up Bible, guys. This is straight up Bible. What would our lives look like if we did that? How about we find out? How about we not wonder? And let's find out what it looks like when we operate in the authority that's been given to us. Take control. The con not, not, you're not in control, but take, but take the authority that God's given you and operate in it. Jesus wasn't like, Lord, I don't know, should, Father, should I cast the demon out of this guy? He just did it. You know, and yeah, we're, that's why we're supposed to be praying without ceasing. That's why we're supposed to be in this constant communication with God. Operate in the authority that you've been given. God's given you a charge. And that, with that charge comes authority to, to, to fulfill the charge. So do it. He's giving you authority to do it. Last thing, there's, there was divisions among the Jews because of, the, because of these words that Jesus said. 
Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon blind? This doesn't really need to be expounded upon, but Jesus causes division, folks. And he always will. So don't be surprised when you start operating in the authority that he's given you that you meet opposition because you will. But it's okay. You just keep operating in that, in that um, authority that he's given you. Listen, the, man, the, the heart of man is going to rebel against Jesus. The heart of man wants to rebel against the authority of God. That's a result of the sin in our lives. Rebellion. What was the first thing Adam and Eve did? They ran from God. They ran from him. These are people that knew God, that walked with God, that had deep relationship with God, and the first thing they did was they ran from God. The heart of man is at enmity with God. But if anyone is willing, the Spirit of God will help and draw them to the good shepherd and he will open up a way for them. Listen, the good shepherd loves us sacrificially. He loves us relationally. He opens up a way for us and he has given us authority. Let us be all those things that he is to us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning and we thank you for this incredible description of the good shepherd. Father, we pray right now by the authority and the power of Jesus Christ in our lives, Father, whatever might be there that doesn't belong to you, we cast out even now. Lord, whatever oppression we are experiencing in our lives, we say depart in the name of Jesus. Father, if we are bound by sin today, we say, listen, wolf, you've been defanged. You have no bite over me. You have no power over me in the name of Jesus. Depart from me. Father, whatever our needs are this morning, may we lay them at your feet and may we operate in the authority that you've given us to walk in the freedom that we have in you. I just pray for true power in our lives, Lord. Not that we would use it in a way that would bring us fame but that we would use it in a way that would bring you fame. Dan's testimony this morning, so powerful. Such an act of you, Lord, and yet he's walking in it. We thank you, God, for saving our souls. We pray, Father, for anyone in this place that doesn't have a relationship with you, that maybe today is the day that full surrender would come. No longer am I going to to play both sides of the fence. Lord, I'm going to make a decision today that says I want to belong to Jesus and Jesus alone. Because if I don't, I don't belong to Jesus at all. I have to fully commit my life to you, Lord. And I want to do that. And if that's you this morning, and you want to just commit your heart to him, and, and maybe you've strayed away or whatever, if you want Christ in your life, Lift up your hand and we want to pray with you. God has given you authority today to take freedom back in your life, to be made right with Him, 
to be forgiven for your sins. But he calls us to repentance. And so if that's you this morning, you want to turn away from your life and you want to turn to Christ and you want to receive the blood of the Lamb that takes away your sins, just lift your hand up. Is there anyone in this place this morning? God bless you, man. Anybody else? Anyone else need Jesus this morning? He wants to save you. But he requires that you lay down your life. Anyone else? Last call. In this place, Jesus is going to continue to pursue you. All right, Father, we thank you. For the person that raised their hand this morning, God, and we, we pray, God, in Jesus' name. Even right now, as that one just cries out to you, Father, forgive me for my sin. I'm turning away from my sin today, God. I'm completely and totally turning to Jesus. I believe that he died and rose again from the dead for me, and I receive him even now. Lord, fill me, complete me today, and help me to walk in sacrifice, in relationship, in the way that you provided for me, God, and the authority that you've given to me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.